today on Ag News Daily. We've been transitioning our processing capabilities away from fluid milk for a long time because demand has been so bad. So, Happy Friday, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Ag News Daily podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Mike Pearson. Good afternoon, Delaney Howell. I tell you what, I'm in a good mood today. Despite the downturn in the markets, I know it's not great news for our producer friends, but it is finally sunny in Chicago. Oh, well, it's not sunny here in Iowa. Well, we can't use any of the parks or the walking trails right. or anything to take advantage of the sun, but at least it's out there through my window. That's true. That always brightens your mood. It does. It does. The sun definitely has an impact. But, Delaney, I tell you what, I had a conference call. Well, a Zoom call. Have you done many of those? I have done a few, yeah. So, last night was my first big Zoom call, and it was with uh, members of the South Dakota Farm Bureau. And I tell you what, there is a lot of hurt out there in farm country, as, as you well know and as our listeners know. And I was talking to producers, and the focus was really on the cattle markets and you know what limbs mean in the, in the cattle markets or in the commodity markets in general. And gosh, I tell you what, it is just, it is a struggle. And, you know, today, oh, we had expanded limits again in cattle and in hogs, and we used them. So the frustration is going to continue, I think, for a little while. Yes, and because of part of that frustration, of course, we've seen the administration put together a stimulus package. And there's been a lot of questions, I think, popping up on Twitter. I've noticed it as of the past few days, popping up on Twitter as part of the stimulus package. Of course, there is a small business grant or there's a few different small business programs that are part of this stimulus package. And so we've seen a couple people dig into this. I believe Casey Seymour, who does the Moving Iron podcast, has dug into this a little bit more as well with Glenn Birnbaum, who's of course a tax specialist. But looking at this particular new program that's part of the Small Business Association, there have been questions about whether or not farms are applicable for small business loans or grants or other pieces. And so it appears now that as of yesterday afternoon, the Small Business Association released an interim final rule to clarify the requirements announced for the Paycheck Protection Program. And so they've said that this loan will essentially be guaranteed as a grant as long as 75% of those loan proceeds are used to cover payroll costs. What this means for agriculture, they went on to say, is that farms and farm entities are applicable as part of the Small Business Association and part of this PPP funding program. As long as you have less than 500 employees, which most farms probably do, you are applicable to apply for these grants or loans, if you will. And so... I think most of what you receive will not have to be paid back as long as you're using it to cover payroll costs or mortgages, rent checks, etc. So if you're a farm and you have a legal entity, I would encourage you to at least check into this because it's free government money. And, you know, I guess if you can apply for it, you might as well. Right. Times are tough. Grab, uh, Grab the dollars that are out there. And Delaney, you said something right there at the very end that I think uh, matters to a lot of our listeners, you have to be a legal entity. Your farm has to be incorporated or an LLC or, or one of those to qualify. Yep, absolutely. It doesn't, it doesn't mean just because you file a schedule F that doesn't make you automatically eligible for this. 
Gotcha. Okay. Well, yeah, listeners, definitely check that out. And Glenn, it might be worth having Glenn Birnbaum on because that, there are going to be a lot of questions about these programs coming out here during uh, yep. oh gosh, the next several months, I'm sure. That's what I was thinking, too. Perfect. Great minds think alike, Delaney Hell. Absolutely. Well, and I tell you what, listeners, Delaney and I had a great conversation with Jeff Cooper, the uh, president and CEO of the RFA this morning. We will bring that uh, interview to you next Wednesday. But we've got some biofuel news that I just learned about, and I wish I'd known about it earlier because I don't think we talked to Jeff about it. But the biofuels industry has officially asked the Trump administration to use the uh, Commodity Credit Corporation to help support the biofuels industry. Uh, Reuters obtained a letter that was signed by all the top biofuel trade groups, um, including the RFA, that said, uh, quote, collapsing demand for fuel during the outbreak has idled at least three and a half billion gallons of annualized ethanol output and uh, and a quarter of the nation's production facilities. And they say that this has hit the industry hard. Of course, all our listeners know that. and it is uh, really being driven by the sharp decline in fuel demand. And we talk about that with Jeff, but I think anybody who lives in an urban area like I do, geez, the streets are empty. There is no fuel demand. And um, so they are looking for help. No answer from the CCC as of yet. Reuters just got the letter. But, you know, it would be nice if this administration would uh, lend a hand to ethanol producers since it's been a lot of this administration's EPA policies that have uh, certainly contributed to the downturn in margins and the struggles in that industry. Yeah, absolutely. It would be nice to see some sort of at least recognition from the administration. Right. I agree with you, Delaney. Well, looking at other COVID-19 related headlines, it appears that not only is the beef industry being affected by supply chain issues, but now also the poultry industry. We saw U.S. poultry company Sanderson Farms, Inc. is reducing their chicken production in Georgia. And, of course, Georgia is one of or is the top U.S. chicken producing state. And they've ordered more than 400 slaughterhouse workers, Sanderson Farms has, to stay at home as a precaution because they seem healthy and they don't want to pass the virus amongst workers, but this could really disrupt the supply chain for U.S. poultry. They're cutting their chicken bird processing from 1 million birds to 1.3 over the next four weeks, though, in other parts of Georgia. So we will continue to watch that as well. So that's how they're going to still maintain production. I guess. Did you say kick up production at those other plants? Okay. Right. And Bellini, I remember, I think it was about a week ago, it was Sanderson Farms that had an employee test positive right. for COVID-19. Was it at this same plant? Do we know? I don't know that for sure. Okay. All right. But yeah, it's the same company, so it wouldn't be surprising. I believe that was also in Georgia. Right. Well, sorry, folks. I've got a lot of oil news today. Oil has been one of those things that just keeps uh, impacting ag markets through the ethanol circuit as well as, uh, as biodiesel. And we've got some news today that was supportive initially in the market. We saw crude oil prices, Brent crude, jump 10% on this news earlier in the day. We've got some action happening with OPEC. Uh, we don't talk about OPEC all that much. America's uh, fracking and fuel production has really kind of not made them irrelevant, as we're learning now, as they're pumping up production, but it's made them matter less to prices. However, OPEC and their allies are now working on a deal for an unprecedented oil production cut. 
basically OPEC is saying they might cut 10% of oil production out. They, they all slow down their wells and they will stop producing 10% of their oil production. This is an effort to get prices to move back to the upside, Delaney, which would help ethanol margins because ethanol, as we learned from Jeff Cooper, is currently trading higher than gasoline. So for ethanol to be successful, gasoline prices have to rise. Gasoline prices won't rise if OPEC continues to pump like crazy and nobody is driving. So it's definitely and a rock so and a hard place for that industry. With, with OPEC saying that, does that mean that members of OPEC would have to cut their domestic oil production, or how does that work? Yes. So OPEC is a interesting invention. OPEC is a cartel. And basically, all of the members of the cartel agree to work in concert for the benefit of everybody. Um, I'm sure you've seen, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have seen the movie A Beautiful Mind, Mm-hmm. about the uh, John Nash, the mathematician. Well, I mean, one of the, the key concepts in A Beautiful Mind is that uh, it's the prisoner's dilemma. If a group of people say they're going to do something and one person does the opposite, that person stands to benefit quite a bit. So everybody always does the opposite and you know, people get posed. OPEC has been incredibly effective at actually managing and uh, making sure its members do cut production or raise production as needed, and they're doing it all to support prices. So we will see if this sticks. They're just having the discussion. Nothing has been inked yet, but uh, the possibility of this happening has certainly brought some investors and some money back into the crude oil industry. So we'll keep tracking it, Delaney. All right. We certainly will. We're also continuing to track Chinese purchases. We saw China buy up to 567,000 metric tons as of Friday, released as part of export sales numbers, which is uh, them living up to their promises made under the Phase 1 trade deal. So good news there. Not sure it was a market mover. The only other piece of news I wanted to share for today, Mike, and this just was released earlier today by the USDA, they are authorizing, I think this is a big deal, so pay attention, they're authorizing self-certification on replant inspections and waiving witness signatures in certain situations as part of a broader suite of flexibilities to support producers during the coronavirus pandemic. And obviously they don't want people out on the farms and passing diseases, passing the disease or the virus around. And so specifically, approved insurance providers may allow the use of of self-certification replant inspections for certain crops with 100 gross acres per unit in lieu of 50 acres, and they may waive the witness signature requirement through July 15th. Okay, so it sounds like really to know if if your farm will qualify, you got to check with your insurance provider. Yes. Because it's not everybody is the way Correct. it sounds. It's, yep, it's just okay. AIPs. Okay, well, check that out, growers. I mean, that's anything we can do to keep the virus out of rural America is a, a good thing. Right. Farmers are sole proprietors, and if you get sick, boy, you know, work can stop pretty quick, and that would be bad news. That would be. Speaking of bad news, Delaney Howell, we definitely have economic bad news that really, you know, we're, we're down across the board in the markets today, and I think a big reason for that was this piece of news right here. Money is just getting pulled out of anything risky because the U.S. economy – shed 701,000 jobs in March, ending a 113 straight months of employment growth 
thanks to this coronavirus vaccine. This caused the, this is reported by the uh, Labor Department, and this caused the unemployment rate to jump up almost a full percentage point. We went from 3.5% at the start of March to 4.4% right now. And this coincides with what we've seen here over the last two weeks with initial unemployment claims, which have now totaled 10 million over the past two weeks, huge, huge record numbers. And it's this uncertainty that is causing folks to look at the markets in a very uh, risk-averse attitude. And we're definitely seeing that play out in, in cattle as well. Yes, we definitely are. But since you mentioned the markets, Mike, should we hop over and, I guess, rip this Band-Aid off for today? Let's do it, Delaney. How I see what I was just looking at the livestock markets. Let me pull up the grains. And we were mixed, actually, in the grains. But things, things definitely turned around towards the close. In corn, the May contract was down two and three quarters to finish at 3.30 and three quarters. The December was up a penny, finishing at 3.50 and three quarters. Soybeans were lower on the day. The May contract was down four and a half cents at 8.54 and a quarter. The November new crop down one and a half cents to finish the day at 8.61 and a half. Wheat was the gainer on the day. The May contract, Chicago wheat was up seven and a half cents at 549 and a quarter. December new crop up three and a quarter to finish at 554 and a quarter. Jumping over to the world of livestock, as I mentioned, we were limit down in the April live cattle contract down the expanded limit 450. So on Monday, April will be a 450 limit again. April closed the day at 88.32 and a half. June wasn't down nearly as much. June was down two dollars, 22 and a half cents. Closed. 80.85. And I want to read August because we can notice a trend here. The uncertainty in the cattle market is really front loaded. As we get to August, it was lower, but only by 30 cents to close the day at 84.30. Looking at feeder cattle, uh, we've got the uh, May contract was down $3.55 to finish at 108.10. The August down $3.22.5 to finish at 114.42 and a half. And lean hogs, all contracts were trading with expanded limits and they used them. The April was down at $4.47.5 to close at $40.22 and a half. The May down $4.25, closed the day at $41.22 and a half. Delaney, I want to take a quick look at the dairy markets here because we will be talking dairy on today's podcast. It's been in the news a lot recently as milk dumping has taken effect across the country. And uh, we'll discuss that here in just a second. But the dairy market struggle again today. The April Class 3 milk contract was down 21 cents at 14.06, and the May, whew, down 72 cents today to close at 12.16. To help us make sense of everything that's happening in the dairy industry, we're going to talk to Alyssa Badger from High Ground Dairy. Well, folks, as promised yesterday, today we are going to dig into the crisis happening in the dairy industry. To help us make sense of everything, we are speaking with Alyssa Badger, the Director of Global Operations for High Ground Dairy. And Alyssa, oh boy, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing all right. It's, it's kind of tough to uh, come to the desk every morning and look at all the red on the screen and, and talk to, you know, producers and, and end users that are just trying to make sense of all this, but I'm doing all right. So let's start there. It is red on the screen. It has been big drops. We read the class three prices every day. We've seen big drops in, in class three milk prices. Put that into perspective for our listeners who aren't in dairy. What What is class three milk? Why does that matter? So class three milk is, we, we that's it's a formula milk price based on cheese and butter prices. 
And basically since February, so the past two months, prices have sank from about a $17 milk price down below 14 bucks. So that's a 21% drop that producers are going to see on their milk check. Um, so pretty negative stuff then. So that's just Q2. We dropped 20% into Q3. Prices are down 17%, Q4, 15%. And the reason that's so negative, uh, that formula is based on, you know, primarily cheese. And, you know, as, as everyone knows here in the U.S. and in, in Europe and parts of New Zealand and we're seeing these restaurant closures, people aren't leaving the house, and, you know, about half of dairy consumption goes through the food service channels. So, sure, you're getting your food delivered now, but the fact that people aren't actually going and sitting down at restaurants and, you know, not every restaurant has the capability to deliver, uh, so we're seeing a huge drop in domestic consumption right now. And, Alyssa, I've got to ask, because dairy is one of those products that, is also flying off the shelves when you go to grocery stores. I mean, I live in a very small town in Iowa and we have a hard time finding it sometimes when we've been heading to the grocery store to stock up. But with that in mind, cheese and milk and yogurt and all those things a lot, I feel like producers are, or consumers are buying a lot more of that. So why isn't that supportive to current prices? There was, if you look at a cheese, a daily cheese chart, you'll see that there was a temporary lift when everything else was falling, and that was because of the um, the slight increase in retail demand. But, you know, the retail service, retail channels, that's less than half of how dairy is consumed. Uh, and I've been getting this question a lot. Everyone's like, ah, oh, the gallons of milk are flying off the shelf. Why aren't prices supported here? That's just – we've been transitioning our processing capabilities away from fluid milk for a long time because – demand has been so bad. So that has a lot to do with it. We've seen processors go, you know, by the wayside because of the shift away from fluid milk demand. And we've transitioned toward making more cheese, more butter, more dried milks to satisfy export channels and to set of satisfy the demand at the quick service restaurant levels, the McDonald's that are adding an extra slice of cheese on their cheeseburgers, the Taco Bells that now offer cheese fries, um, the the domestic consumption and disappearance, you know, fact of the matter is less than half is consumed to the retail channel. So it's not supportive enough to offset the losses that A, we're going to see in the supply chain disruptions and B, that we're losing uh, on a food service channel. And that's not just restaurants here. We're talking about sports events, uh, concerts, a lot of these places that serve nachos and, and cheeseburgers, it's all impacting the dairy industry right now. Uh, Alyssa, when you think about what has been happening, we heard earlier this week that uh, several processors were asking farmers to go ahead and dump milk. Why is that happening? I mean, if milk is flying off the shelves and these are fluid milk producers, shouldn't they still have demand for fluid milk? So I should point out, it's not unusual for milk to be dumped this time of year. We're April, May, that's peak milk production in the U.S. We typically see milk dumped at this time. So that shouldn't be making headlines. I think the reason it is making headlines is because of this rush to retail and fluid milk demand. And and my best answer I have for you is that any processor I talk to is already at capacity and they can't keep up with the amount of milk that is coming in 
uh, to the manufacturing plants. Gotcha. So there's literally, it's just an oversupply happening right now. Oversupply. Yep. It's, it's a bit of a disaster. And unfortunately, producers are now, you know, likely looking at the lowest milk price they've seen since 2009, right after the financial crisis. And Alyssa, looking at current prices, I mean, they took a nosedive pretty quickly. Once the economy gets back up, gets back open, so to speak, how quickly or how slowly do you expect to see prices recover, maybe back to the $15, $16 levels? Well, that's tough. Uh, You know, we don't really have a model for this situation. Being an analyst and, and having to forecast during these times is certainly difficult um, that's a great question. I think, unfortunately, the difference between now and the financial crisis was at least restaurants stayed open. Maybe consumers weren't spending as much, but we were still able to go out and, and you know, sit down in restaurants, spend money, go to our business conferences where we're going to the finer dining restaurants. We don't even have that. So if you think about it this way, the loss in food service channels is loss in total demand. There's no way to make up for that loss in demand. So inventories are going to begin building. They were already high. We had butter inventories so high that we haven't seen them like this in over 30 years. Um, So there's going to be a supply situation that we have to work through first. And on top of that, our stronger export channels, countries, you know, in Southeast Asia, Japan, China, they're now uh, finding ways to support their domestic farmers and their producers there. So is demand going to shift toward them wanting to support their own local communities, their own local farmers instead of importing product? I don't know. I think, I think that this is changing the entire demand landscape and, and there's no really, there's no way to forecast what happens. Um, And I don't know how long it'll take for things to snap back. Uh, There needs to be a hiccup in the supply chain um from a supply perspective and that's not going to happen over the next two months because these are peak production months in europe and the u.s which can't um the losses out of australia and new zealand aren't great enough to um, offset the amount of milk that's coming out of the northern hemisphere right now now Alyssa, i, I want to dive into the export potentials a, a little bit more deeply we know that china loves a deal We know that they have a deal to buy $40 billion worth of ag goods from the U.S., and we know that milk prices are historically low. Do we think even if they're going to try to support their domestic herds with with greater fervor, with with dry powder milk being priced the way it is right now, do you anticipate them coming in to the U.S. market here over the next couple months to at least set aside some stockpiles, or is that not even in the cards? No, yeah, that's a good point. I mean – Obviously, China doesn't have the capacity to fully support their domestic market. But, um, yeah, we, we have been the cheapest non-fat dry milk, skin milk powder price in the market for well over a year. And, and we haven't really seen China step in in an aggressive manner. And that's because they've built relationships elsewhere. Uh, that being said, I think with the economic turmoil that they're experiencing, I do think that they'll start to come to the U.S. in the next few months to start uh, procuring more product, but our bigger markets such as Mexico and Southeast Asia is growing. You know, I, I don't know how long it takes for their economies to snap back and and look to buy increased dairy products from the U.S. 
Um, but we are in a much better position price-wise um, than Europe right now. We're the cheapest on almost every product at this point. And Alyssa, looking at other uh, geopolitical or I suppose just headline news impacting the dairy industry in U.S. in particular has been this Dean Foods reorganization or, or bankruptcy, if you will. What do you make of the new agreement or new buyout bid coming from the Dairy Farmers of America? And will this be enough to create some stability for those folks who are working with Dean Foods? I actually don't know anything about this okay we can just cut this question out then (laughs) no problem yeah bloomberg just called me about it and we don't we haven't run any analysis on the story we don't know what it means we kind of knew dfa would take over but they're also customers so i'm limited got it sorry perfect i've got one more question for you then kind of a good wrap-up question All right, Alyssa, given the hurt out there that uh, dairy farmers are feeling, I know a lot of folks in agriculture are connected to dairy. You know, dad or grandma or grandpa was a dairy producer. Everybody's roots stretch back to dairy at some point. There's a lot of uh, camaraderie for that industry. What can we do to help? What's the most helpful thing in this time of coronavirus we can do to support the dairy industry? Just get out there and buy triple the amount of fluid milk we typically would. Yeah, and then as soon as uh, restaurants start to open back up, buy two cheeseburgers, <laughs> buy two cheese fries. Um, you know, that's a great question. I look at it entirely different because my goal is to mitigate risk. And, and you know, a lot of the farmers that we work with, we made sure they were signed up and utilizing uh, the dairy revenue uh, protection insurance, which unfortunately only 22% of U.S. milk is covered right now into the Q2. Um, so, you know, my initial thought is get covered, you know, call, call us, um, if you're already working with an agent and don't want to switch over, I won't, I won't force you, but you should definitely, um, look into all your options and, and make sure you're more involved with these programs that the government has put into place, uh, for these kind of situations. Well, Alyssa, before we let you go, if they would like to talk to you and potentially discuss how they can manage their farm's risk, how can they get a hold of you? Oh, they can call my cell phone. Um, Would that be weird to put out there? I don't know. Um, (laughs) 806-407-4417. They can shoot me an email um, at info at highgrounddairy.com. Otherwise, just reach out on Twitter. Um, my handle is at BornBullish, and uh, we can get the conversation going and, and get you signed up and, and better protected during this time. Well, big thanks to Alyssa for helping us make sense of that market. Uh, milk is dairy is an interesting market. I, I don't profess to understand all of the ins and outs of it, but Delaney, I can understand when an industry is struggling, and that has been the case of dairy for a couple of years, and it looks like we were coming out of it finally, and then this happened. I know. I know. It's tough times, and it's just heartbreaking to hear that dairy producers are having to dump their milk. Right. And, you know, as as Alyssa mentioned, the big question is, will that dumping continue as we get through the month of May and and production starts to come back down? And uh, Hopefully, hopefully someone can catch a break here sooner or later, Delaney. 
absolutely, Mike. But we're always covering important issues like these on the podcast. We're also sharing, retweeting, liking, and posting things on our social media handles. Maybe some content we don't always cover on the podcast. We're sharing it there as well. You can find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can listen to any of our past episodes at agnewsdaily.com. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 